Well, good morning again, and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here, and uh, we are super excited that you are here uh, with us today, whether you're in person, which is wonderful to see you, hear you, uh, be around you, um, or you're joining us online, which is amazing also. We're so excited that we have the technology to continue to do that. Um, but whatever way you're joining us, we're happy. It, it is a good thing. We do want to let you know if you are online, uh, you can go to our online platform at www.onelifeseattle.org live. And as I just say, there's lots of cool things there for you. So go check that out. It's super helpful. Um, but again, whether you're there, here in person, online somewhere else or somewhere else in the universe I don't even understand, uh, I'm happy that you're joining with us. Uh, before I pray, I do want to let you know, uh, we're going to do something uh, a little bit different this morning uh, for part of our sermon, and I think it's going to carry on um, throughout at least this series where at least for one of our passages that we're going to be using, we're going to ask someone in the congregation to read. And so if you have your Bible or you want to go grab one, uh, the passage we're going to ask to be read today is John 14, 1 through 7. And so um, it'll be in just a few minutes. I'll pray and have a little bit of introductory material. And then I'll just ask you to come on up and I'll hand you the handheld mic and you could uh, read that for us. Um, if you want to read and you don't get to today, there's going to be lots of opportunities, at least throughout this series. So we're going to try to get to as many people as we can. Uh, it's just a way to keep us more active and present with each other. So that's John 14, uh, 1 through 7. And, and I'll pray, and then we'll get into stuff, and then I'll invite, invite someone up. Uh, so let's pray. God, I give you great thanks for this day and for your presence with us. Um, yeah, Lord, I'm, I'm super thankful this morning for friends and family, uh, to be able to gather together in all the ways we can with you at the center of it all, um, bringing us together, uniting us, transcending all the walls and boundaries that we may build, um, and bringing us together uh, to experience new life together. Uh, so I pray today you would speak to us from that place uh, and that we would hear from you very clearly. Uh, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in week two of a sermon series that's entitled Discipleship, Finding Our Way in Jesus, where we've been looking at this concept, idea, reality uh, that we find shows up in the Bible a lot of times. In fact, last week, Rich showed us some kind of stats about how often the word disciple or discipleship shows up, and I'm going to add in the word follow the combination of those two and how it so outweighs a lot of the other labels that we've given people who follow Jesus. Even the word Christian uh, shows up very few times where these other words show up constantly. Um, and so it's, it's a huge thing that we're looking at. And, and I have a couple of quotes that I want to read that, uh, that I think give us some more perspective on this. The first one is by an Anglican priest named Esau Macaulay. And he says, as all of Paul's letters make clear, Christian discipleship is about showing how the implications of the gospel spread out in a thousand directions. And so if you can imagine, if you've ever seen a koosh ball, right? They're like these little rubber bandy things, and they've got little threads of rubber bands sticking out in a ton of different directions. Or maybe like a light or the sun, right? With something at the center that emanates in so many different directions. Isama Kali is saying that Christian discipleship is like that, showing that the gospel moves out through each individual in unique ways in so many different directions. And so it's, it's huge. 
And then um, Grace Jisun, Kim, and Graham Hill from their book, Healing Our Broken Humanity, said this, We must not root Christian identity in nationalism, ethnicity, partisan politics, socio-political, economic status, gender, and other such things. Instead, we must root Christian identity in discipleship to Jesus Christ. This identity is formed through a vision of what it means to be a distinct people with an alternative ethic, politic, and life together. So the idea that rooted in Christ, right, the person of Jesus, that, that not rooted in anything else, that, that our nourishment and our growth is coming through Jesus in order to establish this ethic, this politic, and it redefines community and life together. And then last week, Rich had this really great way of sort of looking at uh, the, the meaning of discipleship and what it means to be a disciple with a quote from uh, Caesar Kalinowski, where he says, discipleship is the process of moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel of Jesus in absolutely every area of life. And so we can see again this idea of that strong center, that rootedness in Christ, and then moving in so many different directions, every area of our life. And then lastly, a passage that we've used to kind of guide our planning is from Acts 17, 28. For in Jesus, the person of Jesus, we live and move and have our being. So this series, Finding Our Way in Jesus, has implicit in its title this idea that, that all people are on a journey. And we're following someone or something. Maybe it's a path or a road or maybe it's some kind of signs that give us direction of some kind. But when we engage with Jesus, what we find out is that Jesus is not so much showing us the way as like a sign or a marker, but Jesus is the way. And so if you uh, would like to read this morning, just invite you to come on up. It's John 14, 1 through 7, and we've got a mic here for you. And if no one shows up, that's fine. I can read it too. I'm happy either way. I see a couple. Oh, okay, we'll go Gabe, and then Lauren will get you next week, okay, or in one of the coming weeks. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go, to, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with, to be with me, that you also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Um, let's take a minute and pray. We all just got an amber alert. Um, Lord Jesus, I lift before you whatever's going on in that situation, that you would guide people who need to know what is happening, and you would protect people who need to be protecting. You would free people who need to be freed, but Spirit, you would move 
convict and change hearts that need to be changed, but that you would be Lord over whatever is going on in that situation. Give eyes to people who need to see clearly what's happening, senses to know uh, where to go and what to do. We ask that you would provide safety for anyone who needs it. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Gabe, thank you for for reading that. Um, Jesus here says that he is the way. Not that there's a path or so much of a geographical location, even though he uses the metaphor of a house, a place. But what Jesus is really inviting his followers to and us is a relationship. There's all that relational language in this passage. Because Thomas is right when he says, Lord, even though you just told us we know the way, I don't know the way. We don't know the way. Because he's thinking of a geographical kind of thing. But Jesus says that the, the, the place you're going is to be in relationship with the Father. And that I'm the way. Me, the person of Jesus. The way is a person. Last week, we explored how during Jesus' time in the first century, if you were a disciple or a student of a rabbi or a teacher, it meant so much more than just learning the writings of that person or memorizing and reciting the important doctrines. It was an attempt to learn and live out every aspect of the rabbi's life, to learn how they got up in the morning and why, and and why did they do it that way, and what time did they get up? Why did they eat the things they did? Why would you go to that town on this road and not that road? And why are we even going to that town? Every single thing, the day in, day out, moment by moment events. It was every aspect of their life. And this is what the disciples were doing with Jesus. Is that many of them set aside their occupations and followed Jesus exclusively. Trying not only to learn everything they could from Jesus, but to embody all that Jesus was. And one of the things that we discover in Scripture and in church traditions is a belief that Jesus was both fully God and fully human, that Jesus shared equality with God, was the exact representation of God, that Jesus was the God who became human, and that's what we celebrate on Christmas or Advent. We call it the incarnation, and we see it in Philippians 2, this letter that one of the apostles, one of Jesus' followers wrote in Philippians 2, 5, 8. Um, And what we read there... Sorry, I'm going to get my Bible out. Let's see if I can get it open in the right spot. There we go. 2.5.8 says this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance of a man, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so we find that Jesus, who was in his very nature, God, humbled himself to be an infant, a toddler, a child, dependent on a human family, someone who fell down and got hurt, who experienced all the things that humans do. We find that Jesus embodied humanity in order that humanity could embody Jesus. An example of what happens when this connection is not made can be seen with a a group of people who Jesus came into conflict quite a bit called the Pharisees. And um, in Judaism and Christianity, there's this thing called the Sabbath. This is often called a day of rest. Um, And it was really modeled off the seventh day of the creation account where God stops creating and enjoys 
the creation. It would be like making a work of art, and when it's done, just stopping and enjoying it, engaging with it. And so today to stop and enjoy and delight. And so the Israelites were instructed by God to keep this day holy. And so much so that in Exodus 31 we read, anyone who didn't keep the Sabbath was to be put to death. At one point in Israel's history, the, the law was kind of lost. It wasn't as important. People weren't keeping it. At the same time, uh, neighboring countries were coming in and desecrating the temple, doing horrible things that were absolutely uh, an abomination to what Israel believed. And so out of this rose this group, the Pharisees, and what they did was they said, look, Israel's lost the law, and so maybe God is punishing us. Maybe we're experiencing all this difficulty because we haven't kept the law. And at the same time, all these neighboring countries are destroying our temples and our law. And so they, out of this, they rose and they said, we have to get back to keeping the law. And it's got to be the number one thing that we're about. So we can kind of understand kind of where they came from and how that developed. And they accused Jesus of not keeping the Sabbath because he heals someone on the Sabbath. And for this, for them, that crossed lines. You're working on the Sabbath. That wasn't allowed. You couldn't do that on the Sabbath. And Jesus confronts them because he encounters a person with a withered hand. And this we read about in Mark 3, 1 through 6. Um, says, another time, Jesus went to the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. And so they watched him closely to see if he would heal them on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched that out and his hand was completely restored. And the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Right, so we see in this passage this confrontation happening. Right, and if we look uh, also in Luke um, chapter 13, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath and there's a woman who's been bent over and unable to stand up straight. And I find it interesting that in both of these uh, moments of healing, there is an idea of something being like, like withered and bound up, and then there's release and straightening, right? There, there's an opening that happens, um, especially when it's in this, in this moment where it seems that the Pharisees are trying to constrict and hold Jesus back. But it says that this woman's been unable to stand up straight for 18 years, and Jesus heals her. And what we read in Luke 13, 14, and 16 is this. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound up for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Can we see how Jesus takes it back to the reality 
but this is a person, that on the other side of this rule is a human being, a daughter of Abraham. And we can see how when we place up walls like this, it actually puts our trust in something that is not designed to hold that trust. I have a short video clip from a a film called The Secret of the Kells, and if you haven't seen it, it's an animated movie, and it's beautifully animated in in a very kind of unusual way, and I would highly recommend it. But to set up the scene, uh, a monk um, named Aiden has escaped Viking attack and is staying at another monastery. He's also in the process of writing the Book of Kells, this beautifully illustrated uh, version of uh, the Gospels, and then it's just awesome, right? But the abbot at this other monastery is trying to prepare for the Viking attack by building walls around their monastery. And so this is it's kind of where we catch up with it. I escaped the Vikings and left them far behind, Brother Cal. Sorry, I mean Abbot Cal. The book is saved, and I mean to complete it. Yes. Well, we have more pressing things to complete here. You mean your wall? Not my wall, Aiden. A wall to save civilization. A wall to save your book. Pagans. Crumb worshippers. It is with the strength of our walls that they will come to trust the strength of our faith. You were always good at the old drawing, Callum. Yes. Well, if you'll excuse me, I have a lot to attend to. The story being told here is one of building walls with the idea of protecting from evil. And although we certainly don't want to uh, allow evil into our hearts, what often happens when we build walls in this way is we find ourselves unable to actually carry out the good that Jesus invites us to do. This is what happened with the Pharisees. That's why Jesus asked, what what is better to do? Is Is it better to do good and save a life on the Sabbath? Or is it better to keep that law and let someone suffer and die? And each time Jesus asks, the Pharisees are silent. And in this statement of, through the strength of our our wall, they will learn to trust the strength of our faith. I find myself hearing other passages. They will know we are Christians by our love kinds of passages. What if people learn to trust in God because of the love that God's people shared and lived out instead of the walls that the followers of Jesus often build? We discover that it's absolutely crucial that we understand that Jesus is a human being because it helps us to remember when we're navigating all kinds of issues that there are real people involved. It helps us remember that it's not just disembodied rules or doctrines or strategies or a mission. It's a person. I don't know how many of you have ever seen a TV show called um, Undercover Boss. Uh, Some of us maybe have seen it. Uh, The idea is a CEO of some large company will go put themselves in a disguise and then go work in their factories or their their restaurants or their stores and kind of get an idea for what it's like for, for their employees, right? To discover what are the things they're going through and are their systems and policies actually working? I've seen it a few times and what I've seen at the end of each episode that I've watched and a couple where I just go to the end, um, 
the CEO always makes changes to their policies because they discover that the systems they've set up aren't actually working for their employees, that sometimes their employees are treated unfairly, sometimes they're working in awful conditions, or they're not supported in ways that actually help. And so the systems that they've set up for the people who are trying to live and move and have their being in those are not doing what they were hoping. And they move from a place of distance to intimacy, a place of of being far away to proximity, and they discover what it's like. And then they make changes. Because what I see us constantly doing as a culture is finding ways to distance ourselves from each other. And this is one of my concerns about social media and even the amount of digital meetings we're doing. Now, a big disclaimer, because some of us are meeting digitally right now, and we have been for a long time, and I believe with all my heart that the steps we and many other people have taken throughout the pandemic have been absolutely crucial, good, and necessary. And though I believe that they've helped us immensely, I have to say it's not the same as meeting in person. I know I've talked about this before, but one of my favorite things is being able to officiate a wedding as I'm standing there and as the bride turns to come down the aisle, I see the groom. The groom looks, is just in this moment, and I get a peek Right, because everyone's looking at the bride. I take a peek at the groom, and I get to see this moment for this person who's experiencing something that that moment is a once, one kind of thing. It's a, it's a one-time moment. That's not the same if I watch it in a video. Right? Because when I sit with a person, and I see them, sometimes you can smell them, you can sense them, right, in all kinds of ways. When I'm looking at pixels that have been rearranged, even in ways that they move, it's not the real person. And when the sound has been processed and comes out of my speaker, it's not the real voice. And this is why I think things like Facebook and Twitter and other forms of social media can often turn so harsh and escalate so quickly because we've distanced ourselves from the real person. We're trying to use those systems for things that they're not designed to be able to contain. Now, I think social media can communicate some things really well. But when we're thinking about human relationships, ongoing, complex, nuanced conversations where friendships and relationships can be moved in big ways, that's just too big for social media. And again, I think it's due to the distance that's created. I just recently got to have lunch with a friend, and one of the things they told me, it was so fascinating, they said, yeah, I've been in this process where I've, I've gone through my, my Facebook list and I've unfriended just about everybody. And I was like, oh, sounds like there's something going on there. And they said, yeah, I just realized that, that in-person life and Facebook life are so different that I just had to decide. I'm either going to be friends with someone in person or on Facebook. The two don't mix well for me. And so they just said, so I'm just making a decision. I look down the list and I'm like, I want to be friends with you in real person. I want to be friends with you in person, right, right? In, in, in this kind of way, instead of on Facebook. And I thought, that's awesome. Good for you. For one, taking the responsibility for your own like, actions, your own understanding, instead of saying it's all you Facebook people, right? just saying, no, I don't, I don't get it. I don't work in this way. Right? But the idea of being present with somebody, and I was so excited to hear that that was something that took precedent. 
We can also look at the damage in our society that pornography has done to all people. People become objects. People have distorted understandings of sexual relationships where we begin to think that another person's going to do whatever I want, whenever I want, and that's my right. That's, that's how it works. Others begin to view themselves as objects, trying to live up to some kind of standard that is not even real, leading to all kinds of other destructive patterns. When we distance ourselves from real human beings, we start to create fantasies. We live in those fantasies. We become closer, more attuned to those fantasies, and that then impacts our real relationships. And we see Jesus becoming a human being, stepping into all of that. I think it's interesting we look at a passage like Matthew 25, 34 through 45. is kind of a long one, but that's, that's all right. And it says this. Uh, Matthew 25, yep, 34. See, when you haven't used your Bible like this for a while. No, it's Matthew. That's incorrect. Yeah. I, I corrected that in my notes, but not on there. Thank you. Um, yeah, so here we go. Yep, got it. And the print of my Bible is really small nowadays. I don't know how it changed on my Bible. Um, but uh, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, uh, brothers or sisters, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And I think there's, there's so much in these passages to notice, but what I want to notice is that Jesus shows not only did he become a human, but that we are to see Jesus in other people. Imagine if we thought of each other more as human beings instead of objects to use or manipulate. What if each person had an understanding of every other human being as the very image of God? or the beloved of God that's even further dignified by Jesus becoming a human. And not just becoming a human, there's this great passage in Hebrews where it says that Jesus didn't just become human because he had to, but that he will stand with us 
He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, siblings and co-heirs, but will be with us and praise God, join with us in praising God together, happy, delighting. What if every person who's been shamed, belittled, bullied, objectified, dehumanized, and every person who was the shamer, the belittler, the bully, the objectifier, the one who was dehumanizing, what if all of them could know how Jesus sees them and how Jesus knows them? Imagine if the body of Christ, the church, communicated that reality of every single person is the beloved image bearer of God with no strings attached. In the light, and Brian brought this up, but in the light of another mass shooting this week, I wholeheartedly believe that we need drastic gun law reform. We live in a country where mass shootings happen daily. And I believe that no one is outside the the reach of the destruction that is caused by these events. But I also wonder, how would things be different if the people shooting had known that they were the beloved of God? That they would have known that along with that, every other human was created in the image of God that we are to tend and care for. Because it is Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who will turn all weapons into gardening tools, who will facilitate the lion laying with the lamb, who will unite all people through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we read about that in Ephesians where it says that it's that same power that raised Christ from the dead that God uses in our lives to help us. And I think in this case to help us remember that every single person is created in the image of God, is the beloved of God. And we, we need to remember that and Jesus shows up as a human being to help us. I wonder now how the people of love, the people of the book, the people of Yahweh, the people of God who followed Jesus, I wonder if the people will have what it takes to walk with the families who are suffering after this shooting. Or will it just become another headline that we talk about for a few days and then move on? What if the body of Christ walked out the love of God? I would like to ask the worship team to please come back up. And in just a moment, um, we're going to, again, do something a little different. I usually ask some questions, but this, uh, this time we're going to do something a little different. But um, uh, while that's happening, I want to let you know that the prayer team will be available to pray with you. Um, for anything you need, if you're online, just click uh, the, the link uh, for that, and you'll be connected with them. If you're in person, the prayer team is going to be right up here um, to, to pray with you. Uh, then we'll have... Uh, a song and a benediction. But throughout this series, we're going to explore and discover what it means to follow Jesus in every way. Um, and when we discover when we follow a person, um, what we do is we enter into a relationship. And so it means that followers of Jesus talk with Jesus. We engage with Jesus. When we sing these songs, we're not just singing songs, but we're in communion with God. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus is present to every single one of us, every single person right now. 
And so instead of giving some questions to ponder, what I'm going to invite us all to do is just take a moment and sit with Jesus. Just to allow whatever is in your heart to be present with Jesus. Right? And if, if it's hard to, to, to picture how that would work, I'm just going to ask you to use your imagination as best you can. If it's Jesus sitting next to you, if it's Jesus sitting somewhere up here, wherever. I knew a guy once who said, Jesus is always at my 2 o'clock. Didn't explain why, and he had a little alarm on his phone that would go off, and every like five minutes it would go off, and you'd see him just give a glance up, and he's like, I'm just checking in with Jesus. Right? But so however it works best for you, and if it's a new idea to you, just, again, I'm going to ask you to allow your thoughts and your feelings to be honest in a way that if someone is there, they can have access to those. Because this is a rhythm that is super helpful. If we're going to say we're following this person, we really need to know how to uh, communicate and we need to know uh, Jesus' voice. So, um, I'm going to be praying, and if, uh, I'm going to pray. If you want to write down any of the stuff you think about on your connection cards in person or online and send it to us, that's fine. Or this might be something just between you and Jesus. That's, that's up to you. But we're going to have just a moment, uh, and the worship team's going to play, and then we'll close. But I'm going to pray first. Jesus, I pray that in this moment you would meet with us, just as you've already been with us, stirring things. Um, I pray this would be just a, a moment that we have to kind of let whatever we're thinking, whatever we're holding, uh, to be present with you. You'd help us to, to listen, to hear, to, to sense how you would be responding, what, what you're inviting us into. I'm thankful, God, that we don't just follow a set of rules, um, but that we follow a person, a real person. Thank you, Jesus, for that. I give this thanks and ask all this in your name. Amen.